0: You're listening to Coding Blocks, episode 68. Subscribe to us and leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, and more using your favorite podcast app.
1: Check us out at codingblocks.net. We can find show notes, examples, discussion, and more. Send your
2: feedback, questions, and rants to comments at codingblocks.net. Follow us on Twitter at codingblocks, Facebook also, slash codingblocks. And head to www.codingblocks.net and find all our social links there at the top of the page. And with that, I'm Alan Underwood. I'm Joe Zach. And I'm Michael Outlaw. This episode is sponsored by Linode. Have your own server up and running in under a minute. They have hourly billing that you can cap on all plans and add-on services, including backups, node balancers, and long view. VMs for full control, running Docker containers, encrypted disk, VPNs, or whatever you like. They have their own CLI so you can manage all your Linode needs directly from your terminal. You can even run your own private Git server. They are backed by native SSD storage, a 200 gigabit network, and all their data centers, up from 40, and Intel E5 processors. They have 24-7 friendly support, even on holidays, and they come with a 7-day money-back guarantee. For your $20 promotional credit, head to www.codingblocks.net slash Linode, that's L-I-N-O-D-E, and enter the code codingblocks17. Again, that'll give you a twenty dollar credit, which is the equivalent of four free months on their smallest Linode instance. So, didn't you you called dibs today? I I did.
0: Yes. So, let's get into the iTunes reviews. The real Brian Choi, Atalus Pizza HD eighty eight, Scuba Steve six thirty six, JD Mirth, James Strugnell, Al Franken. Mikey Don, a.k.a. Programming PD, a.k.a. The Man with the Gram, a.k.a. The Ghost of 404th Street, a.k.a. Captain Hunt, a.k.a. Oh. Captain Hunt and Peck, sorry. A.K.A. General Error. A.K.A. The Wizard of WWW. A.K.A. Senior Segfault. (laughs) A.K.A. New New Mew. A.K.A. PH Pimp. A.K.A. Whose Computer Is This? A.K.A. The Thread Safety Inspector. And finally, A.K.A. The Author of Copy and Pasting from Stack Overflow.
2: (laughs) That's amazing.
0: He's got a long name.
2: (laughs) He does. (laughs) That's excellent. Uh, So, I guess I got the Stitcher reviews. So, A little precursor to this, for whatever reason, we have two Stitcher pages. We've never been able to cancel one of them. And just by happenstance the other day, I noticed that we're getting reviews on one of them that we didn't even really know was out there. So this is sort of an apology and a shout out to you guys for leaving us a review there. So this is from the other Stitcher page. So The Cause, SVOD, and TV Stevens. Thank you very much. All very nice reviews that you guys wrote.
0: I can explain that. That's the Stitcher page from the Upside Down. From the Upside Down. Oh, come on. Are, are we? Do we have to play Yes, No with the Upside Down? You probably
2: will.
1: Hey, wait. Do you know what it is, Joe? Uh, I mean, I'm familiar with terms like that from comics and video games. <laughs> Is it like Stranger Things or it maybe?
0: See, okay, he got it on his very first guess. Wait, was it the Stranger
2: <laughs> Things? Was that part of that movie or show? Yeah. I don't remember it. All right, sorry.
1: <laughs> I watched the whole show, I liked it. It's the other side of the board.
2: <laughs> yeah, sorry. Oh, uh,
0: that was a tangent that went nowhere. Yeah, it really didn't.
2: <laughs> All right, and then from the, the real Stitcher, the one that we always <laughs> know about, uh, 85 U Storm? Maybe I typed that wrong. Maybe not. Uh Micklick, Fraben, and Jerry forty five ninety two. So thank you. Oh, oh wait, 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 We got more. Joe.
1: Yeah, um wanted to mention we just found out a service called Podchaser. It's kind of like IMDB for podcasts, and you can subscribe and stuff there too. And I was checking it out, and I noticed that we already had two reviews there. And so I just wanted to say a huge thanks, um, particularly to these two people, because uh, I, I know they both left uh, reviews on other places as well. So just wanted to say it was a really nice surprise to us. and really appreciate it uh, to uh, Goprogman and Dance to Die. So thank you guys very much. Yep. Thank you all
2: for leaving the reviews, even the one that hurt a little bit. Um, but yeah, thank you all. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. And then, so... One of the things I did want to mention because I feel like after I read uh, Vaseline Vasilev's comment on episode 66, I sort of realized that we did come off whining a little bit about time estimates. And so, because we literally just bemoaned them for probably 10 minutes and then we're like, all right, moving on. So, a shout out to him for calling us out on that because. We strive not to be those guys that, that complain and never bring a solution or something to add to the topic. And we didn't, so we'll admit it and we'll have to revisit that and try and look into some stuff to maybe make that, you know, more realistic. So, uh, anybody that wants to go check out his comment to where he, he basically scolded us rightfully. So, uh, we got a link to episode 66 there.
1: He's got a couple of good comments in there, and uh, I see him talking with Brad too. Uh, Brad Traeger, we mentioned before, is uh, also uh, has left some really great comments. So, yeah. Oh, there's a lot of really great comments I haven't right read here. Awesome. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, he's Christian
0: just as su- <laughs> it just is su- surprised. Yes, yes. Easy for me to say. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so
2: I, I do want to bring up something here, and this is awesome for anybody that wants to look at you know cloud services they haven't had a chance to get in there. Microsoft is coming to Atlanta. They're doing what's called the red shirt tour. It's on Wednesday, October 18th. So it is during a work day, but if you guys can swing it, anybody that's going to be in the Atlanta area, this is a free thing to attend. And Scott Guthrie is doing all the talking. There's going to be a ton of good topics here. So, uh, we're going to have a link here, but here's some of the things that he'll be covering and he's going to be doing live demos of a lot of this stuff. So, uh, the latest in infrastructure, VM scale sets, managed disks, the hybrid cloud, which is really cool stuff if you haven't heard about that, Azure Stack, Enterprise Mobility, Security, Xamarin, Mobile Development, SQL, AI, Machine Learning, and more. So again, we'll have a link here, which ironically is going to a Fusion page.
0: Yeah, and you mentioned specifically the Atlanta one, and if you can't make it to the Atlanta area, you might want to just Google to see if there's an event coming to your area because uh, I quickly checked and there is a Dallas, Texas event coming up October 17th that's the uh, same tour.
2: Oh, awesome. Excellent. Yeah. I mean, this is going to be killer stuff. And for those who don't know, Scott Guthrie, I believe is the VP of cloud engineering at Microsoft. So like this guy knows this topic, right? So definitely if you can check it out, it's free, you know, take advantage of it, man. Like there's not too many opportunities to get stuff like this for free. Uh, another thing that we want to touch on quickly is Outlaw and myself attended Connect Tech. I thought it was pretty awesome. Did you? What was your takeaway?
0: I'm always excited to go to that event. Yeah. Um, there's good stuff there. I I think this year there was definitely react was still like the most popular JavaScript framework there. It had two separate tracks of, of talks going on throughout each of the days of the, of it. But, um, I did see more representation from Vue this year than from previous years. So that was interesting. Um, and, uh, a lot less Angular.
2: Way less Angular. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. It, it was surprising to me. So React was huge. Vue, Vue was coming on strong at this. And then there were the separate tracks for iOS and Android, right? Like that's still going really strong.
0: Well, well, huh, I was actually going to bring that up too, because I did notice that Swift, it seemed like uh, those talks got moved to the smaller rooms now. Interesting. Uh, from where they used to be from previous years. So... Yeah, I was kind of like curious, like, huh, what does this say about the popularity? That, But yet, um, I don't know if you attended any of those talks. They were still, you know, well, well uh, attended and everything. So, yeah, it it was curious, though. Very cool stuff.
2: So that was fun. And then this is a random side topic. Oh, wait, Joe, did you have something? I saw you move your hand. Nope. No. Okay.
0: Not everything we talked about was random side topics. Yeah,
2: pretty much. We're trying to blow through this as quickly as possible. Uh, This, This... I wanted to bring up because this comes up a lot in the gear channel and even amongst friends and coworkers or whatever is networking, right? It used to be that you would like go
0: LinkedIn and meetups and
2: maybe not that. Oh, maybe, maybe not that. Uh, you know, Slack channels and that kind of stuff, which you can hit at codingblocks.net slash Slack. You can come join some of these cool conversations. But You remember, it wasn't even so long ago in the past that somebody would ask, hey, you know, what's the best router to get, right? I have this house and I need to reach all the points of my house. What's the best router to get? And that's changing a little bit. Like if you walk into Best Buy now, like there's, they have like an area at the front of the store with a bunch of different mesh networking technologies now. And Some of the big ones out there right now, I'll just name them off quickly, and we'll have links to them so that if you've not seen these things, you can just take a peek. Um, There's the Google Wi-Fi, which is by and far pretty much the most affordable one out there. There's the Netgear Orbi. There's the Linksys uh, Velop, and then the Ubiquiti Amplifier, some of the more popular ones. But I installed one at my house. I know you have. Go ahead.
0: Which one was the – oh, because there's the Eero. As well. Eero, the-
2: yeah. I haven't put that one on here. Oh, okay. We'll have that one as well.
0: I thought that was the Linksys one.
2: No, Linksys is the Velop. So here's one thing interesting to know about these things, and I'll go over this quickly, and you know, you guys can jump in on anything. So the Netgear Orby works more like a, a wheel and spokes. So you have a central and then everything has to attach to that central one. So it's not a true mesh network. It's more like a central repo, and then other things can hit it and expand the network out from there. But you're stuck to one link away from that center hub. The Lynx's Velop, on the other hand, is a true, you know, hook up your internet wherever you want, and it'll pass it along. So you can literally chain them together, and it'll push it across the network. So I thought that was interesting. I've, you know... I'm having mixed love hate with the Netgear Orbi and maybe I'll go into that later. I don't want to jump into it right now. Maybe I'll even do a review on YouTube. How about that? That's probably the best
0: thing to do. Uh, so yeah, I know there was a lot of, uh, a lot of love in the Slack channel for the, uh, amplify amplify. Um, the one caveat though is that if you, that I ran into is that if you wanted to be able to plug those extenders into, if they wanted the extenders to be wired into the network, then they weren't that specific. Unit wasn't set up for that.
2: It's all Wi-Fi. Yeah, right? like
0: some of them, um, like I believe the Orbi has uh, plugs plug. on the on yep. the extenders. Uh, the Google Wi-Fi you can plug, you can wire those extenders into the network as well. That way, your extenders have like the best possible signal strength, um, you know, that they could give out. Right. So it depends on like what your your situation is.
2: Okay. So all cool stuff. I think, I think I'll think i do a video review. I don't know. Maybe, maybe because you've got the Google one. You're pretty happy with that.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's stupid, simple to set up. It's, I'll, I like that I can manage it from anywhere, right? You know, um, it's tied to your Google account. It's super easy to share that uh, configuration with, with like your spouse or someone, you know, um, because you can just uh, assign Google accounts that can manage it. And so, you know, if you're already, if you already use Google services and you already trust Google, uh, they already know everything about you anyways. Why can't <laughs> they manage your wifi? Yeah. And it, and they do a pretty good job with it. So,
2: yeah, very cool. All right. So that was a cursory jump into that. Just want to like, you know, anybody that's out there searching for things, you know, be aware of them before you go buy a new router, because you might find something that will fill up your space better with
0: the, uh, digital waves. All right. So I'm not really sure what we want to talk about tonight <laughs> or what this uh, episode should be.
1: Uh, Are you my- kidding me, man? Are you kidding me? There oh. Clean Architecture is out. Yeah, And we're one of yes. the lucky few that actually got uh, copies of it. Yeah, Finally
0: it. came out. You
2: know what's crazy is like we said that we ordered this and we all got it like within two days. A lot of people on our Slack channel were like, yeah, mine's showing that it's not getting here till the middle of October.
1: Yeah, if you live in Germany or even, uh, I yeah. think, uh, in, in Europe, it sounds like it might be even sold out. So, you got, crazy. Yeah,
2: you guys will have to have bad architecture until then. <laughs> that's that's the key. All well,
1: right. it'd be kind of nice maybe if we sent
2: somebody one. I think we might be able to arrange that, yes? I don't yeah, know we
1: that we're do <laughs> I think
0: we've done crazier things in the past, so I don't see why we wouldn't do it this time.
1: Yeah, so. we talked about doing it before the show, but we never... Uh, We never settled on, uh, yes, or maybe I was in the bathroom anyway. um, (laughs) Now that we've mentioned it, I guess we got to do it. So if you'd like to win a copy of Clean Architecture, if you leave a comment on this blog post, uh, so that will be codingbox.net slash episode 68, leave a comment. And uh, after, uh, I don't know, a couple of weeks or maybe some (laughs) amount of time, we will look in there and uh, pick a winner and send you a book. So full of definitive. So you'll either
0: get your book from us first or from Amazon. Yes, we're not sure which one (laughs) will get to you first. Yep. All right. Cool. So let's go ahead and
2: jump (laughs) into it. What, What What do we got here?
1: All right. Well, first, I just want to tell you a little bit about the book. Um, We were going to actually talk about and continue on uh, our series on uh, object-oriented anti-patterns, but we got a lot of comments. We got a lot of uh, people talking in Slack about the book and uh, Twitter and stuff. People just kind of expected us to do it, and it looked like a great book. And it it, um, kind of tied back into some of the DDD stuff we were talking about, kind of higher level. And so uh, we just couldn't resist. So we kind of rushed order to get the book, and um, like mine just showed up. Actually, just a. I don't know, like five hours ago, something like that. So I had to uh, speed read through the first couple chapters there. Um, But so far, I've been really liking it. And um, it is part of the Robert C. Martin series, which means it is officially tied to Clean Code, Clean Coder, and uh, the Software Craftsman, which I'd never heard of that one.
2: And we can all agree we like these, right? Like these are excellent, excellent books that we've all looked at. So. Weeks.
1: I've only read, uh, you know, this would be my second one, so I haven't actually read Clean Coder. Cool. Maybe that'll be on the docket here in the near future. Yep, We'll see. And um, uh, I did notice on the back of the book, it's built for architects, analysts, designers, and managers. But so far, what I've been reading through, uh, it doesn't seem like there's a real, like, firm kind of role uh enforced, at least in the first couple chapters where they're, you know, they're saying, like, this is what developers do. This is where architects do. Like, so far, as best I can tell, it's just really about... Like, good design. Uh, maybe we'll jump into some more of that. But so far, like, I don't see why a programmer, any programmer, would not want to read this. Agreed.
2: You know, one thing and I'll
1: say about this, compared
2: and contrasted to the DDD book, this is enjoyable to read. <laughs> like, it's it, it, not, not being mean, it's not so overly wordy and so buzzwordy that it's it, it turns you off right or you feel like you need to have a dictionary sitting next to you so you can look up what every single word being said. it's told in a way that is this is what you experienced this is what you've seen you know it, it, it just it, it feels like a story as much as useful information you know
1: yeah i think ddd was uh it was just really thick and there was a lot of stuff to kind of wrap your head around and i still kind of want to go back and reread it and make sure i get it and it was just um a different kind of book but i mean clean code like i still think about it i still reference it it very much resonated with me i, I think about it all the time and i think that's why there's been so much hype about this book is that i think people are kind of hungry about architecture i think that the problem that most developers face isn't necessarily you know how many spaces lines and you know tabs versus spaces or semicolons or not but uh, it to me at least i think it's more about like how do i keep adding features without digging myself into a hole. Yeah. And I think this book aims to address that. And it's written by, if someone's very highly respected and has written fantastic books. And so I think everyone's really excited about it, including me.
0: Maybe it's just because this conversation in the, in the clean code series is more abstract and therefore you can talk about it in more general terms versus DDD is getting ultra specific and granular. And so in order to stay with the continuum of the chapters, you have to like keep building upon the things that were very specific.
2: Yeah, maybe it's just I, speculation. I, I think it's a writing style though for me uh, anyways.
0: Yeah. I'm trying to be nice to the author here. Yeah, I if, mean, you know, hey, hey, look,
2: he wrote some stuff that people use and, and you know, we're probably going to dive back into it at some point. We've just taken a little high. I mean, he from invented
0: it. a thing that is like, well <laughs> known and thing,
2: received. Now. So right. it's I a mean, big thing.
1: All right, cool. Yeah. He's been programming since 1970. Uh, things were um, different and things were kind of the same, too. And that's one of the things he kind of talks about with uh, architecture and programming. It says um, that, at least with architecture, it's completely independent of every other variable. Meaning that like software architecture in 1970 isn't so much different from 2017. And said so programming isn't really that different either. Like The tools have certainly changed a lot. Um, the methodologies, the, the way people do stuff. But at the same time, you know, like if statement in our loop, you know, in COBOL doesn't look that different from whatever language you're looking at today. And so um, I think that's part of the kind of speaking to those principles that we we just kind of alluded to.
0: Yeah, there was a there was a comment. There, there was a, a, a quote in this book where it ran, went back to something that uh, I think Joe had mentioned several episodes back. And I don't remember the episode or what the conversation was at that time. But do you remember talking about coding turtles?
1: Yeah, turtles all the way down. Yeah, turtles yes.
0: all the way down. And I don't remember what that was in reference to, but there was a quote in this book where he mentioned that um, you know, he he was talking about how uh, it's in the forward where he's talking about like you know we often refer to the canonical reference of software architecture to compare it to building a f- something physical, right? But the difference in building a house is that if you build a house, I mean you have you have some wood, you have some concrete, you have some metal for things like nails and screws and wires, and it's all a bunch of different stuff. But software is built on top of software. That's built on top of software. It's turtles all the way down. And yep,
2: it's, that's awesome. But houses don't change typically either, right? Where software does. And that's where the that's where the analogy always breaks down, right? Well, no, yeah. he
0: actually did cover that too, because like if you uh you know, you could you could add on to your house. You can add you could on change and, and tear down things. I mean, that kind of stuff does happen. Yeah. Not
2: quite as frequently, but yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, more more than I like and uh less often than my uh, significant other likes. So one
2: of the things he said in here that I thought was really cool and interesting and so true because I've heard it happen so many times is writing the initial piece of software isn't hard, right? Like he even said, there, there are companies built on just making something work, right? You cram it together, you slap it together as fast as you can by sheer willpower, you make something and it might be worth millions of dollars.
0: I loved that term, by the way, because I'm like, oh, that's how I do all my code. <laughs>
2: <laughs> right? I will, I make will this figure happen. this out. Yeah. And that's not really all that hard. And that makes sense. I mean, honestly, sure, there were probably a few bumps along the way. But for the most part, getting that first thing up and running isn't the worst thing in the world. But then he goes on to say that making it maintainable and extensible and something that you can manage over time is hard. And that's what this is all about.
1: Yeah, I love the first part of the book is really kind of setting up why this stuff matters. Like, why does good architecture matter? Like, what do I take to my boss when I say I need to refactor something? Like, what am I explaining to him? Like, the, the benefits and detriments of not doing it are. And um, it gives it a nice, succinct uh, definition in that kind of the introduction here. and says that um, that good architecture means that effort is minimized and functionality and flexibility are maximized. So I can make changes easily and the benefits of those changes and the benefits of being able to make those changes are, are, uh, maximized.
2: Yeah. And, and the, the angle of this, he was also saying was reduce the number of people you need to actually write these things. Right. That's, that's so important. Go ahead.
1: Yeah. It's kind of funny. Like the whole idea of being a programmer, writing yourself out of a job as being the, the goal. I think we've joked around about that before, but like, it really does make a lot of sense. Like. You know, the, the, and we've talked about this with, um uh, I don't remember what we talked about, but basically adding, you know, more people to projects, making things more complicated, more communication, you know, nine people can't have a baby in, in one month. Um, and so I, I think that makes sense. If you can keep um, the number of people down, if you can keep the lines of code down, if you can keep things simple, then, uh, you know, win, win, win. Another thing. I, I don't want to get fired.
2: Right. Well, I mean, the thing is, the reality of it is, If you write good software and you can iterate on it quicker because you made it more maintainable and all that kind of stuff, sure, there's not going to need to be as many people maintaining that thing, but that means you get to work on newer, cooler stuff, right? We've talked about the greenfield versus the brownfield, and a lot of the times the reason you're stuck in brownfield is because you're maintaining a a pile of of mess, right? Right. If you make that thing to where it is maintainable and you don't have to spend tons and tons of time bug fixing and all that, you move on to bigger and better things that can make the company more money that could be more revolutionary, could be whatever. So I thought that was interesting. An- another thing here, though, that he brings out in this book, and I love is he's like, this all sounds utopian, right? This all sounds like this this place, that, this golden you know, place that doesn't really exist. And he's like, I've been there. Right, doing it right exists, and when you do it right, then it feels weird because you're not fighting all these battles all the time. And so that's what this entire book is about: is how do you get to that right spot? Right.
1: Yeah, I think the sad reality is um, of a lot of green brownfield projects is that. A lot of times we made it that way. You know, like how do, how do brownfields get brown? Like we, we poop them up, the developers, right? That's not management. That's not anyone else. Like we literally changed the code. We made the mess. We made the bed and we're lying in it. But we're going to well, get to that. Let's yeah.
0: be fair though. Brownfield doesn't necessarily mean that it's crap. I mean, the brown isn't necessarily referring to it being crap, right? No, true. It's, it's just that it's it's older code. That's a good point. It's, it's usually the
2: negative connotation that comes along with the brownfield, right? Yeah. That, that you're but about. I
0: mean, you could have something that was like written in great patterns of whatever the technology was at the time that, you know, you don't hardly have to touch because it just works and Agreed. it's functional. And, yeah. and if you do have to change it, you know, every now and then, it's, you know, easier to do,
2: but, but you're probably not going to complain about G- brownfield at yeah. that point because you're not going to be spending that much time in it. Right. So I think it's the negative connotation that typically comes
0: with it. Not necessarily, you know, I think it's also too, like we developers see that the new shiny and we so badly want to play with the new shiny.
2: I don't know what you're talking about. Well, no, I mean, not you, (laughs) not you specifically. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, this is awkward, but no, you're right.
1: Yeah. Brownfield does not specifically refer to, uh, detritus. Uh, I did not know this. Uh, This is something I learned today. TIL.
2: Hey, wait. Yes, yes, no. I know what TIL means. <laughs> <laughs> TIL. Cu- yeah. Oh, today I learned. TIL, oh, yeah. yeah, you yeah. always accuse me of not. Having I, I didn't the hear interwebs. what.
0: I didn't hear what it was, and what, <laughs> and then yeah. Okay, sorry. Yes,
2: I, I've seen some of the interwebs. All right. Yeah. So the next part here, that this is actually jumping into uh, chapter one here. What is design and architecture? You want to kick us off, Joe?
1: Yeah. Um, so what is the d- the difference between design and architecture? Do we need to guess? Is this a game? Yeah, g- you, you can guess outlaw. Oh man. Why did I put myself on the
0: spot? Um, design would be graphical and I got to make things pretty. And I care about uh, the color palette and the placement and the flow of things. And architecture I'm going to say is um, I care about the model and uh data structures and am I anywhere close, Joe? Or am I uh, drowning? Here?
1: I think in this contest specifically, uh we're pretty far off, but I think oh. it's just because he didn't erase those lines and uh, I know that you knew that and you knew that you knew that. Um but uh
0: <laughs> Yes, I read yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, usually when I refer
1: to design, uh that's exactly what I'm talking about. But in this case we're talking about software design, software architecture. And uh, what, th- what he said was, uh, and I thought it was interesting, saying there is no difference. If you are a software designer, you're designing a system, then you are architecting that system. Those those words can be used interchangeably. And so I thought that was kind of a cool way to kind of erase some of those lines. Because I think a lot of times when people say think about software designer, they do think about the art. They think about like the soft, fuzzy kind of, you know, adjusting pixels and CSS kind of stuff. And when people say architecture, they kind of think of like the guy locked in the corner office who, you know, um, comes out and says it's not my fault and then goes to lunch. Um, <laughs> Wait, that's the so, architect? Yeah, man. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, it's not my fault. You can't follow my immaculate designs. Uh, I got to go to lunch.
0: I wrote a 17-page wiki on it.
1: You know what's yeah. funny, though? It, I love this
2: because it always bothered me because I was like – if you say that you're designing something, it's the same thing. And it always kind of bugged me that there was like this line there. And I like it that he called it out and said, no, man, if you're designing a system, it's the same thing as architecting it, right? Like you are you are figuring out how those pieces go together in a way that's not going to destroy you down the line. I like that a lot. Yep.
1: And so to put it another way, the measure of design uh, quality then is the measure of the effort required to meet the needs of the customer. So I'm sure we've all given this analogy to someone where you say like, sometimes you want a checkbox and it's a checkbox. It takes me five minutes. Sometimes you want a checkbox and it's like the end of the world, right? I got to change so much stuff. And so um, what we're saying kind of uh, a a little bit, you know, of course, my analogies are always, you know, mostly wrong. But (laughs) what we're kind of saying is that the difference between how much time we think something something should take because the customer doesn't think it's a big change because it's not a big change to their conceptual model uh, and how different that is to how much it takes to actually implement that change. That is the measure of design quality.
2: Yeah. So to revisit what you're saying, the way that he put it in the book that was really cool is product manager comes to you today and says, I want this feature, right? And then six months down the road, they want another feature that in their mind is very similar to what this feature was. And you say it's going to take twice as long. And they're going to be like, why the heck is that going to take twice as long? It's kind of the same thing as what you did six months ago. And then a year down the road, they're going to want something that they feel is like about the same scope. And now you're going to tell them it's going to take three times as long. And that's what we're saying. That's the measure of it. If every time new features or changes need to be introduced into the system. But the time to do this goes up drastically every time you failed at your architecture, you failed at your design because it should not be that kind of, you know, exponential rise or even linear rise of, of the problem.
0: How else are you supposed to bake in your, your Reddit reading time though? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, That's a real, real world problem. I was really asking. Uh, (laughs)
2: so yeah i mean that that's literally that's the identifier and and let's be honest right we've all seen this like that's how it happens a lot of times a lot of times
1: yeah Yeah, and i get it i mean they talk about the shape and the scope uh in particular and kind of the shape refers to um kind of like what the code actually looks like right it's like you know where the files are the actual um you know I don't want to say physical, but you know, the, basically uh, what the implementation is. And then the scope is like the conceptual model. And so if somebody says like, oh, customers should be able to go back to accounting then and do something, then that, you know, is like drawing lines in their heads from box to circle or or whatever. But when it comes to the code, you know, we know that might end up being like 44 different files and then deleting this folder and, you know, uh, a big pain in the butt. And that's a difference there in between the scope or the domain and the actual physical code. Um, I used a word I didn't want to. Dang it. <laughs> but uh, if, you know, we talked about um, Triple D, uh, Domain Driven Design, and that whole book was really around keeping your, des- your code really close to the model and mimicking that. And so that when they want a change in scope, then that change isn't so different in the shape. And you can kind of keep these two worlds somewhat in sync
2: Yeah. Keep it close to the business need. That way it makes sense. Hey, one of the things that we called out here in the show notes and, and really is cool. And I highly recommend picking up the book, at least so far as we've gotten, like they have a, he has a ton of graphs in here that show some, some interesting things like uh, some case studies where an engineering staff increased by geez,
0: I want to know what company this was. Right? Like eight or I ten. know. I know. Yeah, they,
2: they anonymized it on purpose. But, like, it looks like eightfold almost, right? Maybe tenfold.
0: It, well, it, at one point, the cost of development... He, he was talking about how, like, with bad architecture, they were able to chart out how the development effort, um, as the developers were small, you know, everything was okay. But then, as they would, like, ramp up the development team, that there wasn't an increase in code that it actually kind of flatlined the, the amount of code flatlined. If you just considered code as lines of code, um, which maybe there's some argument to be there well, about productivity. refactoring
2: or whatever. On one of the but, graphs, it was actually productivity. Like, well, the how flatlining
0: productive. one though, I thought was the, fl- was, um, lines of code. Yeah, it was, it was, it was lines of code, but, the yep. the, Product size. um, But he goes into the cost, but it also includes the cost of the development. And in the beginning for like release one, it was, you know, the monthly cost was a few hundred thousand dollars per month to pay the developers to do it. And by the time you got to release eight, it was $20 million a month to pay the development team. What company could this possibly be? And it was Climbing. (laughs)
2: And and, and that's the kind of stuff that they see, like they even, so the productivity per release went way down because it was difficult to maintain. Um, as they ramped up the engineering staff, the, the productivity flatlined, like literally they, they, it it looks like a 10 times increase, maybe 20 times increase in the number of engineers, but the productivity just completely
1: flatlined.
0: Come on. Give me a guess as to the company.
1: No, that's all I've been thinking about. This, this whole was time.
0: this was Microsoft during the release of Vista.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I
2: did not No? No? Okay. I, I Let's see I if it gives a deploy count. And I don't want to give away too many numbers on the charts because you know you should really buy the book and read it. But Oh um,
0: yeah. Oh I'm gonna give you another away another number from the chart. Two. Two. I'm just giving away a number. Yeah, there we go. Two. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm curious. That's now
1: terrible. I'm looking for it. So <laughs> in 8 years we went from, you know, basically a, a handful of employees to 1200. Who could that be? Well, we I don't mean, know like like what it could be anyone. Yeah,
2: we don't know what years. We don't know anything
0: we about We just know this. that the releases 1 through 8 then he didn't he didn't correlate that to to time.
2: But one of the interesting things that he points out and you know, I think mm. it was even earlier in the chapter was This is where you have to be careful, where you see trends like this. It's not just a development team, right? Like as upper management looks at this stuff, they're going to go, holy smokes, man. Like we're not getting any features, but we're spending the same amount of time. And, and, and uncle Bob here even says this isn't because developers aren't working. If anything, developers are working their tails off, but the problem is the architecture doesn't support making these changes. Mm-hmm. And so now not only are developers working their tails off, but they're frustrated because everything feels like a grind, right? Like everything's an uphill battle.
0: And honestly, if you're the, you know, he, he caught out the CFO in this, like if you're the CFO and you have, let's say, let's say you only had 20 developers on your team, right? And you're looking at that 20 developer and you're looking at this chart and you're like, well, you know what? I had the same level of, you know, productivity when I had 19 So why don't I just go ahead and only have 19, right? That guy, Mm -hmm. it's his job to start scaling that stuff back, right? And the problem is, is mentally that makes sense for somebody like a CFO,
2: right? Because you're looking at numbers, you're like, well, okay, well, if we just move this curve back down, but that obviously wouldn't work, right? Because now you're going to have 20 people just spinning their wheels trying to maintain however much code was written by those, you know, 1,200 engineers. So it's... It's a real, real problem, right? Like, and, and it's something that snowballs. People hear that all the time. But when you start writing code that's not maintainable and, and you're rushing to get it in there, it, it snowballs.
0: There, there was this quote related to this section that you had mentioned about, like, uh, it wasn't the... It wasn't due to the efforts of the developers. You know, it wasn't that they weren't doing hard work. And he actually referred to it as the heroics of the developers and the overtime and dedication. But he says that, you know, the problem is that all their effort has been diverted away from features and is now consumed with managing the mess.
2: Yep. And that's that's unfortunate. Uh, we've all seen it. At least all three of us, I know we've seen, um,
0: you know, in multiple places, right? And sometimes it's not the entire app. Sometimes it could just be a portion of the app that you're just like, oh god, I right. please don't ask me to fix that part of it. Like I'll I will literally rewrite any other part of it, but let's just leave that one alone.
2: Yep, yep. <laughs> please it is so please don't throw
0: me in the briar patch.
2: Yeah, man. I it, it looks like both of us wrote down something in here to where uh, one of the quotes is the lie that we tell ourselves and that the product management team tells us and that we internalizes. We can clean up the code later, but we got to get this to market first. got to be so-and-so to market, or we have to get this to market. And the problem is that is a total lie because after you get that one to market, the very next hot feature is going to be on its heels, right? You never have time to go back and clean up that code. Rarely, seldom, if ever, do you, because you're always trying to chase that market.
0: I I had a thought on this, so I wanted to read this quote from him. And then, I, as soon as I read this, like a, a thought came down, I just had to like uh, pencil it in. But he writes that getting to market first this is going on with what you just said. Getting to market first simply means that you've now got a horde of competitors on your tail and you have to stay ahead of them by running as fast as you can. And it made me immediately think Have you ever noticed that sometimes, like, company X might come to market first with some product, but company Y? is the more successful. And it made me think that maybe this is why we see the second competitor be more successful in the long run because they weren't pressured to be first. They were able to think more about design, which allowed them to think about the structure in a way that they could iterate faster.
2: That's possible because eventually they're going to be the tortoise, right? And the tortoise and the hare—they're going to pass them slowly but surely.
0: Yeah, because they're yeah. not—they they don't put that undue pressure on themselves. They're like, "Oh my God, we have to be to market first. Yep. We have to get this done. We have to be the first ones to solve this problem."
2: Yep.
1: But um, this does uh, kind of fly in the face of what a lot of programmers have been saying for a long time about focusing on the MVP about. Um, performance being uh, you know optimized too early right um, so it's definitely kind of internalized in the culture that you know we should release early and often and get this stuff out however yeah you know, I've read the uh, the whatever that book was with the MVP I can't remember the name of um, uh, lean the lean startup the lean startup yes. yeah yeah and it, nowhere in there did it say you should sacrifice on like infrastructure or quality it said you should sacrifice some features you should pare it down to the least you know the least set of behaviors and features that make sense, but nowhere in there did it say that you should sacrifice on architecture.
0: No, that's true. So, in other words, Alan's doing it right when he scales it out his application for a billion current current users definitely absolutely i I mean
1: you like you look at these charts it's a scaling problem absolutely like things are great when it's you know when you're first starting out and you got one two three you know releases like it's not so bad but as things go on it's just you start to see that curve level out and it just gets to just insane levels and it's just totally unsustainable so
2: well there's there's a couple more things in here that i want to point out that i don't think we wrote down um but this whole thing about, about us as developers, if we just bang it out fast right now, we can can go fast, right? And, and it'll slow us down later, but at least right now we can go fast. That's actually a falsehood by what he says. And it sort of makes sense because he put it this way. And if you think about cleaning your house, your apartment, your car, whatever, this is so true. If you just maintain the cleanliness of the area, it's a, thousand times easier, right? Like if you're throwing McDonald's bags in your passenger seat and they just keep piling up over there, guess what? You are going to have a nasty mess when it's over because it's not just going to be, Hey, you got to get rid of those bags. Now you got stains in your seats. You got stuff all over the place, right? It's going to take a lot more effort. It's the same thing with code, right? I mean, it really happens that way. If you let that stuff pile up, it's going to get to a point to where it's very difficult to clean up. So I I, I thought that was awesome because it's so true if you maintain the cleanliness and then he goes into it kind of go so, ahead no, sorry no, you're good. it,
0: it kind of goes along with the thought that you know some people make against testing where it's like oh we don't need to we, we can test it later we don't need to write tests or whatever because we, we can come back to that but it kind of went along with the the sentiment of the tdd approach where it's like you know what if you actually do your testing uh in in the beginning you're going to be able to iterate faster and he he actually had a uh a chart here where a a colleague of his did a, a test of writing code where we just spent a little bit of time each day. And on three days out of the week, he would, um, you know, write his tests first, you know, do a TDD approach to it. And then document like how long it took him to complete the amount of work. And then on the other days of the week, three other days of the week, I guess he was working a six day week. He would, (laughs) um, not take the TDD approach to it. And, he was able to chart that there was an actual. You could see the learning curve in both approaches, but in the in the slowest day when he took the TDD approach, it was still faster than his faster his fastest day where he didn't take the TDD approach in terms of being able to iterate and get something done to completion. Uh, Fat, you know, I- at some respectable time by ten
2: percent. By at least 10% on each day, he beat it with the TDD approach. So, riding slower, but it ended up being faster, right? Because we all think, hey, if I just skip doing the test, I can do this faster, right? But he proved it. He it proved it. It sounds
0: like a hassle. Like, uh, you got to set up that infrastructure, or you got to set up that plumbing, or whatever it is, you know, if it's a new project. And if it's not a new project, then you're like, well, I got to you know make this new test. I don't, what do I want this new test to be yet? You know, and and... Yeah. So, uh, it's, you can easily see why it would be, why you might think like, oh, let me just skip the testing. I'm not going to worry about the testing. I can, I will write the testing. Let me focus this week on just getting the core functionality done. And next week I'll come back and write the test. But what's going to happen is next week, assuming you even got it done the first week, then you're going to be tasked with doing something else because you know, the, the customer, uh, whether that customer be your boss, or your boss's boss or an actual paying customer outside of your business. That test to them isn't, um, you know, a feature. It's not material to them. Yeah. They,
2: to, they don't care. They don't know. what There's exists. a better
0: term for it. That's not coming into it's my head right now. It, uh, yeah.
2: So this all leads into something though, that I think Joe, you actually put in here in the quote. Yeah. Did I put my name
0: there?
1: No, I did. I did. Okay. No, I did. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> wow. Uh, Okay. uh, Yeah. uh, Slow is smooth, smooth is fast, which is uh, like a military saying. I don't know if you guys have heard that before. Um, I read it in a book recently. Um, And uh, actually another quote, the one you're probably referring to is the only way to go fast is to go well. And that one is actually from this book. But both are kind of speaking to the same thing where um, if you are rushing around frantically trying to do stuff, you're going to make mistakes. There's going to be stuff to pick up afterwards uh, it's a big mess this is also kind of the the main point behind the uh, the infamous or, or famous um toyota like the the new me plant whatever the andon cord you know the idea was previously all those car companies would rush everything to the assembly line because stopping the assembly line meant stopping the production and it slowed the numbers down and then they would kind of fix their mistakes afterwards but uh, toyota had a different approach where they would actually stop the problems as they uh, and deal with them as they uh, arose And that ended up being so much faster and so much more efficient in the long run. And we've heard similar stories. I know Pat Flynn's got a similar story to like doing wedding announcements and stuff. And I found um, it was faster actually to do each one individually rather than trying to kind of do all the folding, do all the stamping, do all the whatever. Um, And it's just the same kind of deal. Whereas uh, if you kind of take the care uh, and um, have the patience and kind of do things uh, slowly, they end up being a lot faster in the long run. Um, but the thing is, it's a convenient story to tell or is it, rather it's a sort of convenient story to go along with when you're, you know, your boss or your manager or whoever wants something done faster. And, you know, there's a little, you know, a little if statement, a little hack, a little, you know, flip of the wrist that you can do and get it, quote unquote, done. Um, then there's a lot of pressure to do it that way. And the only one who a lot of times um, can say, hey, that's not so great is another developer who's got their own pressures and lives to live and probably isn't looking over your shoulder. And so there's kind of like, you know, you've got the devil on your shoulder that wants to go home and just make everybody happy and, and close the ticket. And then you've got the angel over there that nobody else can see. Nobody can hear. Nobody will ever know about. Um, So it's, it's hard to do the right thing and there's no one else really to fight with you. A lot of times it's, it's kind of up to you to defend Uh, what doing it right means and why it's important.
2: Yeah. And this is where the, one of the conclusions is, so what's the answer? Did you
1: rewrite it? That's the answer that comes up a lot. right? Yeah.
0: He, He says that developers think the answer is to rewrite it from scratch. Right. You know, one thing I was reading about when I, when I read, when I was reading this book or one thing that I thought about while I was reading this book was that, um, Basically, he wrote this book for whatever company you're working at while you're reading this book. Totally. <laughs> this this applies to your company. I'm sure. I'm sure of yes. it. That's not ours. But but to Joe's uh, um point about like, you know, <laughs> the responsibility thing. Um, he has this statement in here in you know, skipping ahead to the next chatter, where he says that the business managers are not equipped to evaluate the importance of the architecture and that it's the responsibility of the development team to assert that importance of the architecture over the urgency of that feature.
2: Yes. Right. And so, we need to jump into that deeper in a minute too, because I think that is so incredibly important. I, I mean, do want said. to
0: point out though, that uh the term that I was looking for was non-functional.
2: Oh, okay. Yeah. A non-functional. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There was a race condition in my brain. So it took a minute <laughs> for that one to get there, but it eventually got there.
2: But the semaphore, it, it kept everything good, right? Yeah. All right. Um. So the thing on the rewrite and I love this. He says, no, that's not the answer. And just about any time somebody says rewrite to me, I, I get a little vomit sick. Like, you know, I feel some bile rising because it almost never works if you're out. You're right. like twitching. Yeah, yeah. Like, the seven minute abs. Oh, um, so <laughs> six minutes.
1: <laughs> well, what's always really funny to me is like a lot of the team, a lot of times the people proposing the rewrite are like, A big part of the reason why things got so poopy to begin with, right? Those are people who've been maintaining this thing and not fixing it up, not taking the time to push, you know, not taking the energy to push back and kind of fix things as they went along. So what makes you think it's going to be any better? And they say, he even
2: says, typically it won't be right because you're going to have, you're going to have so much overconfidence that, oh, I'm rewriting this thing. I'm going to make it perfect. And you're not going to take the steps necessary to not make it a mess. And so you end up in the same situation you were at before. So rewriting is typically not the answer is, is what the gist of it is.
1: Yeah, and you end up right in the same trap where, like, the first couple days of rewriting feel amazing. And that's kind of the trap of it is, like, the first portion of that rewrite just feels so great. You're moving so fast. You're replacing large swaths of the system. But as you get into those little edge cases and those little weird things and, you know, those bugs that you didn't think were bugs and... And next thing you know, you were right back where you were, except now you've got two crappy systems you're trying to maintain somehow.
2: Yeah. And, and now you're probably going to be under more pressure because you put yourself out there as hey, I can make this better. And so now you're probably going to rush things even more because you want to prove that you can do it faster, better, all that kind of stuff. And you're going to cut corners. Um,
1: yeah. Oh, and we didn't talk about the uh, hare and the tortoise analogy that he used uh, quite a bit through here, which um, yeah. I'm sure everyone's familiar with the story. But the idea is that uh, the hare thinks he's so fast, he's going to win the race, no problem. So he ends up kind of slacking off, taking some breaks, taking a little nap, whatever, while the, the slow turtle who's racing against him, like, plods along and eventually wins the race. And I never thought about it this way. I, I don't know why my entire life I'm questioning what I thought people were saying when they used the expression harebrained. But they're referring to people using like, you know, kind of like the reptile, the hairbrain you're you're doing your short-term thinking. You're overconfident, and you're not just focused on your task. I always thought hairbrain meant you're just an idiot, but that's fine. <laughs> I that's it. what I thought too. I Googled, it. I was like, wait a second, does hairbrain mean like you're thinking with your hair brain? Like the the hair and the tortoise? Wait. The answer is yes. Is that really? Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we got to fact check you over here, uh, no, Joe. I, this I never thought about it either. No, but wait, coming yeah. in live from Georgia, we're fact checking now. Yes. Wikipedia says
2: a rash decision. Actually, this is coming from <laughs> Dictionary
1: something. Yep. And uh, I, you know, if I would have, if you had asked me to spell, if you had tricked me before I read this book, you said, "Hey, um, how do you spell hairbrain, Joe?" And you hit record. I would have, I would have spelled a r, <laughs> spelled like hairhead. You mean a i r? Yeah, that's what uh, I was thinking. Uh, <laughs> yeah. He well, hard. he
0: would have spelled it his
2: way. He would have spelled it hard And then that's autocorrect <laughs> would have corrected it. He would have gotten there. We need auto-tune for our spelling. All right, so. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, so really the key takeaway here is not rewrite to the answer. None of that's the answer. The answer is start taking your quality seriously. That's where this ended in chapter one.
1: Yep, so I want to take a few minutes here to uh, ask you to please leave us a review. We really appreciate it. There are a variety of p- platforms, and you can go to codingblocks.net slash review, and, and there's a couple links there. And if you don't want to install iTunes, that's fine. We don't either. And there are alternatives. There's Stitcher, there's Podchaser, and um, we really, we really love getting that. And it helps for the show, and uh, it's just really meaningful, and we're very thankful for it. So if you've done it, thank you. If you haven't, please consider it. And codingboxnet slash review is the way to do it. And a huge thank you to
2: everybody that did it this past time. We had quite a few come in and that was, that was awesome. So thank you. It really does mean a lot to us.
0: And with that, it's time for Survey Says. Bing. All right. So last time we asked, how many different podcasts do you subscribe to? Your choices were there can only be one, which is obviously coding blocks. I mean, that only makes sense, right? Yep. Less than 10, YOLO, less than 25, less than 50, and less than 100. All right. So I'm going to go with you first, Joe. Which one? Are we going to address
1: the controversy? We should. We should. I think you need to. Okay, fine.
0: Uh Let's start with the negativity. Yes. Thanks, Joe.
1: I don't know if I call it negative TV. I, I call it amazing. <laughs> I call it impossible. Uh, I do too. I call
0: shenanigans. <laughs> that's what I'm calling.
1: I don't know. I'm up to 47 now, and that's three more than last time. It was only a couple of weeks. So, yeah. I mean, it, it happens. But we did get a few people writing in uh, and saying that they listened to over 100, which is just astounding to that's, me. it's crazy that's town. insane. Yeah, crazy town.
0: Even if each one of those, even if you listened to only exactly 100, and they were each an Th- what thirty minutes long? That's still fifty hours a week. That's a full time job of podcast listening. And
2: even if you double the speed and listen at chipmunk rate, that's twenty five hours. Twenty five hours. Yeah, that's almost as that, a part time job. Yeah, I like.
1: But man. if you skip the news, you can get that number much much lower. <laughs> man. man. Man, what that hurt, dude. Just
0: kidding. That, that's like a
1: dagger right I there.
2: Can't, I can't, like, kick him off this podcast. I, I'm trying to figure out how. Well, I was going to say you can't kick him because he's not... Hey, guys,
1: that's if you're listening to this Florida. episode, just fast forward to the 20-minute mark and you'll totally skip the news. Oh, oh man. Whatever,
0: man. And if you're an advertiser, totally ignore what he just said.
1: <laughs> that's right. We would never endorse that. All right. And you like, how we tell him at, uh, like, minute 50.
0: Uh, <laughs> 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 All right. So, Joe with all your negativity which one do you think was the most popular in what percentage only one uh, less than 10 less than 25 less than 50 less than 100
1: less than 50 at uh, 40%
0: 40% less than 50 dog on it i'm going less than 50 at 1 <laughs> at 1%
2: this is price's is right uh, rules yeah you're, right, Come you're on. right
0: yeah price's right rules uh, where we mix, you know, multiple games. <laughs> <laughs> Survey <size>. Yeah, right? <laughs> price is right. Uh, <laughs> the
2: price is wrong. <laughs> Wait, yeah, sorry. right? No, don't finish that quote.
0: <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> For anyone who doesn't know what we're talking about, watch Happy Gilmore. Go watch Happy um, Gilmore and laugh. All right, so both of you think that the most popular, you really think that all of our listeners listen to more or, I'm sorry, under 50 episodes, but gra- that obviously implies greater than 25. Subscribe to. Subscribe to. I don't think uh, they Subscribe to. to. Subscribe yes. to. I'm sorry. Yes.
2: Subscribe to. I think so. So, I guess that you're leading the the jury here.
0: Uh, no. No, I just misread that. Oh. Yeah, don't. But uh, you're wrong. Both of you are wrong. Is it less? Far and away, the answer wow. was less than 10. Really? Wow,
2: dude, that's exciting! Thank you for listening to
0: us as one of your ten. We are we are ten percent of they their important uh, subscription. When you say far and away, are we talking greater than fifty percent? Oh, okay. Well, now who's being negative? Uh, (laughs) No, it was forty seven percent. So that's pretty. Of those surveyed, were less than ten. Yeah.
1: Well, I'm not going to recommend any more podcasting (laughs) because. Yeah. You get one of those in, like, this is a good chance we're coming out.
2: <laughs> no. so, so this is a stack T I L.
1: Yeah, man, y- y'all a cutthroat. No, that's not <laughs> like, fair. This is a freaking survivor over here.
2: <laughs> we just got voted off the island. No, 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 no. We're still. <laughs> uh, your
0: torch has been put out. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, on this episode survey, we ask, how often should your employer replace your computer? And your choices are, every three years, because you got to respect the money. Every two years, come on now. Or every one year, because I deserve it. Or, who stays at any employer long enough to have that problem? And lastly, wait—they're supposed to replace it. So,
2: just so you guys know, this will be an anonymous voting. <laughs> <laughs> As, <we're all. laughs>
0: As they always are. They are all. Your votes are safe with us.
1: Yes. Do we want to add a four to five option? I'm kind of scared of not representing now. What four and five year options? Yeah. Ah,
0: oh, fine. We'll say. Well, how about if we just At say greater than five. three?
2: Yeah, greater than three. All I right. like that. All right, but greater it seems, than three it seems very nebulous, like 10 like years plus. I comma, get I'm upgrading my 486 DX2 this year.
0: <laughs>
1: I mean, but I'm sure your laptops are three years old. Come on,
0: man. wait. No, we're not talking about personal laptops. I mean, mine's not, though. we're what? talking about that's your company. We're talking about your employer, what your employer should do because, well, right. like, our, our personal <laughs> that makes more sense because it's not going to get the daily use that. You know, your work computer does. Now, um, if you're self-employed, if yeah. you're self-employed, but that's work. you are the employer. Yes. So, this question still applies to you. So, don't try to come at me with any shenanigans about like, well, I'm self-employed, <laughs> so it is my personal. No, you're an employer. <laughs> you're employing <laughs> yourself.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Just uh, real quickly here. Um, we don't want to. Uh, we're trying to. Let me just tell you <laughs> it was like, let me spend 10 minutes tell you about how we're trying to save time <laughs> uh, anyway
2: <laughs> preach it brother
1: <laughs> moving along uh google feud i've got one quick one which i just happened to look at the other day i thought it would be fun to do on the show uh so let's try javascript is uh outlaw you want to go first no <laughs> no this is your this is your opportunity do not miss this chance to blow okay so all spaghetti uh
0: right Thanks, Eminem. <laughs> um, JavaScript is, um, like Java. I'm trying to think like what somebody what the most common Google search is going to be. JavaScript is always changing. I don't, I don't. I'm horrible at this. This is why I ask you guys the questions. JavaScript is popular. JavaScript is
1: popular. All right. You guys are so far off. It's amazing. Yeah,
0: really? I'm sure. What yeah. is
1: it? Do you want me to tell you? Yeah. All right. <clears throat> well, JavaScript oh, is. Hold up, hold up.
2: I, so hold on, hold on. Before you do this, there was somebody I ran into, and I cannot remember his name. That's horrible. But when we did the Atlanta Code Camp, he said a suggestion open up a private window and run the same query because maybe Google won't do it. Although I said that maybe by IP address, they're still hitting it that way,
0: but no, no, no. And when I've done the Google feuds in the past, I've always done it in Cognito window. Okay. So you have to see like what, what Google would come back with.
2: So we've been doing that. All right. So do yours incognito, sir. All right, got it. Pretty much the same. Got it. Okay. (laughs) Probably because they're looking at your IP address and they're like, "This is JavaScript
0: is amazing. JavaScript is hard. JavaScript is stupid. JavaScript is." uh, You're cheating, by the way. I know. I'm thinking up the top of my head, like, what would these search, what would Google Google searches be?
1: I'm just going to go ahead and lump those all together and give you a a big fat no on all (laughs) of this. Not nowhere. I'm not good at this. This is hilarious. So, here's what it says. So, if I do JavaScript is and no space afterwards, then I get things like JavaScript is nan, is numeric. And then, then we start getting into other stuff eventually, is set, is defined. But if I do JavaScript is space... Basically, the same kind of thing. JavaScript is array, is null, is string, is integer, is numeric, is numeric, (laughs) is undefined, is defined, is not a function, is not null. So I thought it was really funny for, you know, a a weakly typed language, you know, a dynamic language. (laughs) (laughs) I see where you're going. Yeah, like apparently, it's just the programmers are the compilers. The programmers <laughs> are the ones checking for error. And they're using tools, tools like Google instead of uh, a compiler. So I thought that was really funny, and but dude, I never would have guessed that. But, dude,
2: this is ridiculous. That's, Come on.
0: This, that's where they went wrong. This doesn't
1: make sense. They,
0: they should just have used Stack Overflow. <laughs> I feel like they need Type to talk to... TypeScript is the uh, What was his name again? Mikey Don? No. Uh... Yeah, Mikey Don. Mikey Don. Yeah, yes. he he's the one that authored the book on copy and pasting from Stack Overflow. Yes.
1: Yes. Well, it, next time someone says, hey, I don't got time to, to learn TypeScript, you just say, that's your hair brain. Hair brain thing. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: hey, wait a second. Wait a second. So, a funny for you. <laughs> that's your hair brain. TypeScript is not a module, is array, is not a function, not a constructor, string, not assignable yeah. to type. So, it's the same garbage, man. Okay. Yep.
0: Oh man, I am so used in that comment. <laughs> Somebody brain. says something to me from now. That's your hairbrain speaking, <laughs> son. Yeah. You got to put sun at <laughs> I, the end. I love of the her. way that he like pointed at the camera when he did it too. It's like that's your hairbrain talking.
1: <laughs> yeah. You got to check out the YouTube video for that. That's oh
0: right. man. All um, right. Well, let's get into chapter two. Yep. A tale of two values.
1: Yes, sir. All
2: right. We're done.
0: That's it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, so two values. The two values that we're talking about here are basically uh, structure and behavior. And when um, I'm not used to those terms in this context, I'm used to words like features and architecture or features and non-functionals. But they're they're kind of the same things we're talking about here. I didn't really detect any sort of major difference between those concepts. Uh, I don't know about you guys.
2: No, nah, it's the same.
1: Okay. And I think uh, what they're saying here is really stressing in the beginning is that both of these are high in a good project, right? We, like, we want a lot of features and we want really solid features and we want a lot of structure. We want a lot of architecture, which I thought was interesting. You didn't say good or simple or clean, kind of said a lot of no, structure. No,
2: no, I, I think it was, it needs to be a high priority, right? Or high importance. Okay. High importance,
1: yeah. Okay, so I'm, yeah, I'm on board with that. I think that makes more sense.
2: Yeah, because a lot, a lot of, Texture isn't necessarily a good thing no, I
1: mean, <laughs> yeah this seems really silly now that i've said it out loud dude one of our good buddies will he
2: i'll never forget at one point he had on his messenger something to the effect of i hate abstraction for abstraction's sake or something oh. like that where there were like 20 layers of interfaces and stuff and he's like i i, I can't deal with this so, yes, a lot Isn't of- Isn't there like
0: a quote, though, about that? Like, abstraction for abstraction's sake is bad or something like that? I don't know. I feel like Joe knows some book that has a quote about that. Joe knows. That feels like a Tecmo Bowl thing.
2: Um <laughs> <laughs> So, <laughs> you, you don't Bowl. know, you remember
0: Bo Knows? I, I, remember, I remember that, Bo's. but I'm trying to make the reference to the 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 football game. Oh, dude. From Bo Knows. Like, um, don't tell, I know Bo, but- No, no, that Tecmo Bowl, he was the dude that you couldn't stop. Bo Jackson, if you
1: had his uh, team,
2: you, you couldn't, you couldn't tackle the, the Raiders. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But
0: there were, there were, there was like a player like that on every team though. I don't know, man. Bo Jackson. Yeah. Cause was who was the right, guy have from to the Buffalo on Bills the, on during the that same time frame? Oh, uh, oh, uh, Thurman Thomas. Yes. He was, the, he was the same way. Sports ball. Sports ball. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. I, I let the internet down. Dang it. Uh,
2: there's actually Thursday night football on right now and it's running in the back of my head and I'm like, Oh man. All right. So, <laughs> Okay. So,
1: so uh, yeah. the two, two different uh, sides of the same coin, right? Um, behaviors and structures. And we'll just go ahead and use their, their terms for it. Um, and one thing, uh, one good point it really makes about this is that software as opposed to hardware is called software because it's supposed to be, malleable it's supposed to be easy to change Uh, the difficulty in making a change should be proportional to the scope there's that word again of the change not the shape of the change so if conceptually it's not a big deal then theoretically code wise it shouldn't be either and if there is a big discrepancy there then we kind of have to ask ourselves why or where we go wrong or have you know is, has there been a miscommunication this whole time, or have we not been adapting the shape of our code to meet the scope of our ever-evolving scope?
2: Yeah. Well said.
1: And um, you know, kind of nail that point home. It talks about the stakeholders, meaning that you know the heads of customer service or the whoever is commissioning the product from you. Um, they provide a steady stream of changes that are roughly similar scope, right? So they start off saying, I need this, I need that, I need this. Their requests three years later haven't gone completely crazy, right? They're not asking for things that are dissimilar from what they used to ask for. But now it's taking you, you know, a lot longer turnaround. we have seen this in pretty much every business and, you know, it as things get bigger, and more complicated, it happens that way. And I think um, the analogy they give uh, is fantastic. Here, I highlighted like three times. Yeah, from the dev's perspective, every time we get a new request in, we are rearranging the pieces of an ever, ever increasingly complex jigsaw puzzle. Every new behavior that we add is additive to the problem. It's additive to the number of code, uh, lines of code that have to be maintained. It's additive to our um, our abstraction, to our model. And we've got to keep rejiggering that stuff. And it's hard as things get bigger, especially if we don't keep that shape and scope in sync.
2: And this is where, by the way, like in the previous thing, in episode 66, when we were talking about time estimates and all that, a lot of times developers are pressured to get things done as fast as possible, right? And, <clears throat> and and ship it. And that is completely why this happens right here. Because as a developer, you're like, man, I'm being held to the to the coals on this thing. I need to get it out the door and it needs to be good. But that always comes with ever increasing risk, right? Because now you don't have unit tests because you tried to ship it fast. You didn't take the time to say, hey, how can I make this thing fit in a way that we can come back and reuse it later or it's not going to be a problem. And that's exactly why this thing turns into a jigsaw puzzle, right? In the long run, that's really why it happens,
1: yeah. And it's a total trap too, right? As the shape and the scope get out of sync, things take longer. And so you have less and less time to go back and fix infrastructure type stuff. Cause now you're telling them, well, that checkbox, just like the checkbox I added last week is going to take five times as long. And you can't say it's going to take five times as long. And I'm going to take a month off to, uh, you know, add testing or replace the, the ORM or whatever, right? It's never going to happen. And it's because you kind of worked yourself with your hairbrain into this hole. And there's not a good way out of it, except to kind of own up to it and start trying to do better.
2: Yep. And, and he brings up like in this very next section, he brings up this almost contrived sort of ridiculous thing about, would you rather have a system that works, that's difficult to change or one that's busted, but easy to change, but When he says busted, he basically means has no value, right? Like it doesn't work. It doesn't work Mm -hmm. for the business. And he said, I would argue that you'd rather have the application that doesn't work at all, but it's easy to change because then you can change it to meet the business's
0: needs. Well, he was specifically saying in this section that like more often than not, your management is just saying like, it's more important that it just work. Yep. Right. And that's where he was taking this extreme approach of, you know, do you want the one that's, uh, you know, works but it's difficult to impossible to change versus the one that doesn't quote work but you can easily change it and he goes on to argue that
2: yeah well actually i don't want to jump ahead so uh, yeah I, i'm going to skip that we'll, we'll get back to it here in a second and i'll bring it up but yes so that was the whole thinking about the problem at the extremes and and what he says sort of makes sense right like if you can't iterate on the problem then it doesn't really work out that well for you. But if you can iterate on it quickly, you could potentially add more value to the company. And I think he even pulls it out in a different way.
0: Well, I was going to read the the two for extremes sure. here. Cause I, I really like the way he put this. Like, going, going to this extreme example where, you know, one work quote works, but you can't change it. And the other one doesn't work, but you can easily change it. And he says, if you give me a program that works perfectly, but is impossible to change, then it won't work when the requirements change. And I won't be able to make it work. Therefore the program will become useless, right? So as time goes on and you want to add new features or whatever, and you can't, right? Versus if you give me a program that doesn't work, that does not work, but it's easy to change, then I can make it work and keep it working as requirements change. Therefore, the program will remain continually useful.
2: Yep. And I want to read like the last paragraph here where he gives the more, because he even says that's kind of contrived and and somebody might argue that because it, it is super extreme. But then he gives the real world example. If you ask the business managers if they want to be able to make changes, they'll say, of course they do but then they may qualify their answer by noting that the current functionality is more important than any later flexibility. In contrast, if the business managers ask you for a change and your estimated costs for that change are unaffordably high, the business managers will likely be furious that you allowed the system to get to the point to where the change was unpractical. So it's literally Mm -hmm. a catch 22, right? And that is the situation that often happens, but that's where we're going to get into this next section
1: you guys ever been in a situation where like you're working at a company and you get some sort of quote from a third party and it's just unreasonably high and you think basically they gave you the, you know, a polite way of saying no, you know, it's like it it costs a million dollars. And you think they're giving you that, you know, take a hike number. Like maybe they're just really good at estimating (laughs) and they know know. that it's going to be more trouble than it's worth or, you know, it's going to be worth X amount of dollars
2: think we need to be careful about talking about estimating because we we, <laughs> yeah. we don't know yet.
0: No, no, no. Hold on. Let me I got I I needed a whine and complain about it for a minute. Give me a second. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
2: we we definitely need to come back to that one.
1: Oh. Yeah, and give uh some positives for it. Yes. <laughs> what to do about it. Um Eisenhower matrix. Uh, I always forget what this is called. I I don't know why, but it's it's the grid of four. I'm sure everyone's seen it by now where you've got like Behavior, or sorry, behavior, Uh, urgent in one corner and important in another. And um, what are the other (laughs) four squares? Important
2: and urgent. There's important, not, not urgent. There's unimportant, but urgent, and unimportant and not urgent. So it's that quadrant, right? They fit into them. i
0: never heard of this. He's talking about this like I should have I heard about either. this. <laughs> but one of the interesting
2: things was, this is what Eisenhower said, and this is the irony to it all. I have two kinds of problems, the urgent and the important. The urgent are not important, and the important are never urgent. So it's basically that whole, you know, everybody wants something right now, but they don't matter, or the things that we do need right now, nobody cares about. And, and that's what he's getting at here. And- Uncle Bob here goes into this and he sort of lists them in order of, of what they should be important to software architecture. Number one was urgent and important. Two was not urgent and important. Three is urgent, but not important. And four is not urgent and not important. So basically, you know, you take your highest priority, most important, most urgent thing all the way down to doesn't matter at all. Right. And go ahead. No go ahead. No, I, so all I was going to say was he said the biggest problem is when they invert, they move number 3 up to number 1. They move what's urgent but not important and they try and cram it into urgent and important. Because that's typically what what product teams are doing, right? They everything's important to them because they want it done. They want that feature in there. But it's our job to make sure that we keep those things in perspective, right? We need to identify, is that truly important or not, right? And, and it, needs to be, it needs to be noted to the business so that everybody's in the
1: right line. So crazy, crazy thought. Everything that comes across via Skype, Messenger, maybe Slack, it's all urgent, right? It's all things that are kind of pressing. You're supposed to respond right now. And a lot of times that stuff isn't important. You know, the stuff in your, your ticket system, that's important. Everyone's agreed on. The stakeholders are in game. We have deadlines set. But then we've got this little flashing thing in the corner. But but it's hard to say, though, because what's urgent and not important to me may be very much different. So Outlaw sends me a message because he's having a hard time with a urgent, important issue, right? And he needs answers. Well, that little flashing light may not necessarily be important to my goals, right? Well, really it's sort of about the company
2: goals, though, and that's really where the problem lies, right? Is there are personal goals because everybody's held to, you know, a certain level of performance and what they have to get done. So, there's those personal ones, but there's also what's important to the organization, right? Is is spending, you know, a week on this one thing that really doesn't add much value is that truly what's important. And and, and then you might even argue whose job is it to say, right? And then- you
1: know. Yeah, but if you're not careful, you could have all your time eaten up by just dealing with these little flashing lights and trying to you know prioritize yourself Definitely. what's important and not important, or make it yourself rather than all the stakeholders who have already kind of agreed on what's important for the two weeks. But I don't know a good way of telling the difference. So I you know I like luckily I don't get that many Skype messages, or, so it's not a big deal. But I just kind of always wonder about that with like uh, Slack being so important in so many organizations now. And, uh, you know, chat's always been really important, but, uh, I think it's kind of interesting because by definition it is urgent and it's not always important. Right.
0: Was that the only one though that, that read this quote from Eisenhower and then was like, okay, how did these two things explode to four?
2: Well, I think they just <laughs> built a quadrant out of it at that point. Right. <laughs> so,
0: but it's still yeah. like, yeah, even cause he even listed them out as, you know, numbered bullet points. Right. Uh, or a numbered list. Um, and it was like, wait, he never said something was important and urgent. So number right. one can never exist.
2: Right. Yeah. No, I don't think he did, but, or maybe he made the chart, but he said, he said, wait all my minute. stuff falls in one corner or the other.
1: But- yeah. If, if this is your really the first time you've seen this, then you need to read, or, or rather, I should say, I've been reading too many self help books because if you read any <laughs> sort of like, productivity book this thing is like front and center like getting things done um self-help or well, the seven what? the seven highly effective habits of successful people uh, whatever yeah. like all those guys uh, any book like it like this is like front and center like chapter one interesting
0: okay so then explain that then no i'm just kidding we'll move on <laughs> so here's
2: here's one thing that came out of this that i think is really important because this boils down to the software architecture part of this is they say that the dilemma for the software developer is that business managers are not equipped to evaluate the importance of architecture. That's so true. They they can't be equipped because that's not what they look at. They don't see it. They're not down in it. It's your job to make sure that you are fighting for keeping the architecture clean so that when they come for another request in the future, that it doesn't turn into this big snowball effect to where the same request scope and shape ends up being three times the amount of work, right? So he makes it, he makes it a point here to say, that's what we're hired to do. We're hired to not just write lines of code. We're hired to make sure that we create a system that is maintainable.
1: You know, I got to say, this. I, I really enjoyed uh, the, the first parts of this book that I've read. Like, it, it it touches on so many different things that we've talked about in so many different ways. But it didn't go into every little one. Like, it didn't talk about tech debt. It didn't talk about project management and ticketing systems. It didn't talk about, you know, all the stuff that I'm kind of bringing into it now. Because it really focused on, like, the specific, clean, clear messages of architecture. And, you know, behavior versus structure. And and scope versus shape. And so I really like dealing with in those terms.
0: If you look at uh, some of the future chapters, man, I'm, I'm super stoked to continue reading this because, um, you know, structured programming, object oriented, functional programming, uh, goes over all of solid. Uh, yeah, there, there's some really cool topics that are coming up in this, in this book. So I'm, I'm happy to, this is, uh, I know we were waiting for this to be released. We saw it, what was it like a month or two ago? Yeah. And uh, kind of got excited about it. There was one thing in here though that I wanted to, um, as part of the wrap up of this section, that uh, you know, often when we talk about, you know, when you're when you're going over, you know, some requirement or feature or uh, part of the application or whatever, uh, you know, when you and you refer to like, you know, getting the stakeholders involved and you know having that discussion with them because they're an important part of because you know they're the stakeholders but he makes the important point uh, to note that you are a stakeholder and that uh, it is your job as a software developer developer to safeguard the code. It's, it's part of your role. It's part of your duty.
2: Yeah. And absolutely. And what I like about this too, the stakeholder thing is he makes it a point to say that, you know, It's never easy as a software developer or architect or designer or whatever, it will always be a struggle because people aren't exposed to that part of it. Right? So when somebody comes to you and say, Hey, I need feature ABC, you know, let's get this crammed in there. And you're going to be like, well, this is going to take us a little bit of time because we need to do this right. There's going to be an argument. There's going to be pushback. No, we need this in two days. No, well, you're going to have it in five. And they say, he says, it is always a struggle. And he said, frankly, that's how it's always going to be. And that's how it's always going to be done because there's always this whole balance between it. But you as a stakeholder, he he even says that it's not that it's not that you're somebody that is reporting to these people. You should be treated as an equal mm-hmm. in
0: this argument, right? Because you're the one that knows about mm-hmm. what you're doing to make it work for the company. But every one of the stakeholders involved, it, that struggle is there because every one of the stakeholders involved is doing their part to protect the overall organization from their perspective.
2: Yep. And it's your job to protect your right. slice of the organization, which is your code. So you
0: don't know their domain. They don't know your domain.
2: Yep. And and he's so just kind of... Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, no, I don't want to. <laughs> oh no, yours is much better. No, I'm done. mine's like of off topic. No, no, I, 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 stop.
1: All right, all right. <laughs> uh, so I was just kind of like you know thinking about spitballing, like how what does it mean to defend or what does it mean to fight for something, right? And so I was just kind of thinking of a couple like off the couple examples. Like one way to do it, it, would be to talk to your boss about having like uh you know uh like a what you call it, um lunch and learn type thing where you talk about better techniques for doing stuff um and you can kind of share that knowledge with your team uh like another example i could kind of think of would be like going to different um are you know encouraging going to like uh conferences or whatnot would be another one that's not so direct to your code or or, you know maybe even something like the google 10 percent um or was it 20 percent uh 20 20 and that was based more around like kind of innovation um 20% Twenty percent projects, in but you can imagine having something like you know what every other Friday we're going to have Tech Debt Fridays, and you know every developer gets to pick their favorite thing that they hate and uh, work on it. And so that's what we mean by fighting. It doesn't necessarily mean saying I can't do this ticket because I need to clean up. Um, you know, you may want to bring up the problems and the things that you should do there, but there are other ways to address this than you know saying I'm not doing this ticket. I will say the tech
2: debt Friday thing where each developer works on things that they know that they want to clean up or whatever. I have split mixed feelings on that because I've seen situations to where people know what's important to them, right? What they, they've seen some bad code. They want to clean up that code. But oftentimes I, if you look at it as more of a a big picture or a whole type thing, I feel like a lot of times there'd be wasted efforts down on, you know, feature XYZ because really what should happen is further up above something should have been fixed there that would have lined everything back up. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I feel like sometimes
0: the problem is, and and i you're saying like you put in the cart before the horse kind of scenario. Yeah.
2: Like, like, I do agree that everybody should be a part of making sure that things stay clean, but that means everybody also needs to be involved in that conversation of what does that mean for us? What is important for us to clean up so that we can make better steps towards a better application, right? Just because you're going to go clean up an ugly section of code doesn't really mean you bought much, right? Because maybe that ugly section of code shouldn't even really exist. Even as a clean section of code, maybe that thing should be completely removed because there should be something else further up that should be driving some of these things. You know what I'm saying? And that's, yeah. that's where I struggle with some of that stuff is I think if somebody doesn't have enough context, they think that they're doing right by spending time in one area when really, if that, that time could have been better spent elsewhere that would have affected many areas.
0: So yeah. here's an idea then. Um, and I don't have like a, a nifty little name for it, like the, the Google 20%, um, feature, but what if on those days where, you know, refactor Friday or whatever, um, you have unit test Thursday. So instead you, maybe you don't have time to refactor something or whatever, but you introduce one new unit test to a piece of code that didn't already have any coverage on it. And if that requires that you need to do a little bit of refactoring to make that test work, then okay, I mean, in a little, right? And I'm only asking for one unit test. If every developer just added one unit test one day a week, right? However, That's however many developers you have. So if you have 20 developers, that's 20 new unit tests that get added that week, right? And then that would go along towards your ability to do those future refactorings like which you mentioned where something's up a higher level and like oh do I actually have the impact did I did I introduce any regressions
2: it gives you it gives you that confidence that we've talked about before yeah I like that I, I do like that um
1: yeah um, I also, I really like the idea of, of uh, devs having a seat at the project management table. Like a lot of times the the tickets kind of get determined in some, you know, back room where people are playing some sort of point poker or something, looking at velocities. But a lot of times um, the devs will have the manager there, but the manager is more about, um, you know, kind of keeping those those behaviors rolling. And so it might be nice to have someone who's like specifically there just to kind of represent these non-functionals and uh structure and architectural concerns.
2: Yeah. I honestly believe that the devs need to know more of the big picture stuff so that they can think about things in more of the big picture, right? How can I make something, It you know, I have this one thing that I need to build. Oh, but this exists somewhere else in the app or, 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 oh, there's somebody else that's going to be working on something else. Maybe we can work together and build something that we can both leverage, right? It, I feel like a lot of times that's not done well enough. And that, That is hyper frustrating, right? Because then, then you get this whole thing where it's just not maintainable over time.
1: Yeah. So we want to keep the devs closer to the uh, domain experts.
2: Yeah. I sometimes, you know, the the problem is, and this is always a challenge is when you get too many people in a room, then the the meetings will drag on, right? Like it's like going through, it's like walking through mud because there's a lot of questions. Everybody has ideas. So, I think a lot of times the answer is you get a smaller group of people, then you involve more people after people have already hashed out some of the things. And then and then you hash them out in little mini sessions as opposed to, you know, one long meeting that that everybody loses focus on because it takes 80 tangents. It, and it's a practice that you have to try and do. And it's I mean, but it's valuable. And I think that's a key.
1: Uh, the, the- and don't forget, uh, if you if you leave a comment on this blog post slash episode 68, then you're eligible to win a free copy of this book. And one great comment idea would be a suggestion for how to fight for good, good practices, right? How to fight, how to push back, how to deal with, uh, you know, bosses that favor behaviors over structure.
2: And to wrap this particular section up, I, I thought he summarized it. Excellent here in the first the first sentence of the last one. Just remember, if architecture comes last, then the system will become ever more costly to develop. I mean that's that's true. We've all seen it.
1: And don't take our word for it, right? Take every project you've been involved with. Right. And, and if you're new <laughs> to programming, example.
2: if you're new to programming or you're a new developer, keep this in mind, right? Like it's your job to, to start really thinking about this stuff. It, you really need to internalize it and don't let it stop you from working. But, you know, this needs to be a part of what you are because you'll be respected for it eventually as well.
1: You can't be the guy at the meeting saying like, it's all too big of a crap. We need to rewrite the system before we can do anything. Don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. Because
2: <laughs> all, all the senior devs will look at you and be like, man... <laughs> Yep, don't do that.
0: <laughs> All right. So we're going to have a link to this book, obviously, as the resources we like. Uh, and with that, we move on to Alan's favorite portion of the show.
2: It's the tip of the week.
0: It's the tip of the week. All right. So I'm going to go first with my tip, and that is that This is specific to, Alan's going to love this one because I got a SQL server tip or a SQL tip and we all know how much Alan Alan loves SQL server. It's actually his favorite thing. It's one of my favorite things. It's his favorite thing. It's not one of, it's the. (laughs) Uh, So always, if you're creating a view, always explicitly name your column names for your view. Because if you think you're doing yourself a favor by just creating a view that does select star and you then change that underlying table, the view is not updated with that change. Isn't that crazy? I never realized that. And when one of our coworkers shared that tip, I was like, oh my God. Now now immediately I was like, I'm probably guilty. Am I guilty? <laughs> I'm not guilty. No. Am I I'm not guilty. Wait, no, I probably am guilty. I've yeah. probably done that. I don't think I've
2: ever I well ever. I in years and years and years I don't think I've I've put in a proc or a view select star just because there's the hit as well on top of that of it has to query the sys columns and all that to get the stuff back so it's running more queries just to return your query
0: yeah i mean i i honestly i don't know i honestly right. i don't recall if i have i'm i'm going to guess that i probably have but i i but more importantly though was that it didn't matter if that it was just i didn't realize that um that it wouldn't update Yeah, that's
2: that's crazy. Talk about some some bugs that you chase down, being like, why? Yeah, interesting. So I've got one. This came from Connect Tech that we mentioned at the beginning of the show here. Is there was a a session on Web API. And I almost skipped it because I'm like, man, I know web API. What are they going to teach me in here, right? Like, literally, those Googling were the that, thoughts. Like, what? Yeah, th- those were the thoughts running through my head. And I get in there, I didn't know anything. It had <laughs> nothing to do with C sharp. It, it it it's what the Mozilla Developer Network M D N. If you're familiar with it, it's what they call web API, and it's part of these design things that exist in browsers. That are amazing things that I'd never heard of, guys, like just killer stuff that you've probably never heard of. So, uh, one was like, there's this, uh, uh what was it? There's a payment request or, or something like this payment Mm -hmm. form, like basically what, one of the big things that's happened in, in a lot of companies keep metrics on this. Like I I bet you, you can bet your money that the Amazon does Walmart does, but I forget what the stat was that they threw out in this thing, but there was a study done that like 60 plus percent of people when they go to buy something on mobile leave, because when it gets to the checkout page, it's an absolute pain in the butt, Mm -hmm. right? Like you don't want to type in a bunch of stuff on your phone, And so there's this whole payment API thing on here to where if you implement that, which is, by the way, supported by a number of browsers and the browsers that don't support it, there's a polyfill for, but it'll actually pull up the payment instruments that you have available that have either been stored on your phone or whatever, or in that particular browser. And it makes checkout super
0: easy. I don't think we've ever described a polyfill.
2: Oh, okay. A polyfill. <laughs> Let's talk on that real quick. So if any of you, unfortunately, like we've had to in the past, have to support something like IE8, right? <laughs> Which, unfortunately, still exists for some reason somewhere out there in the ether. Um, Just if it starts with IE, it's already like, really? Yeah, I, dude. I'd So, oh man, another tangent. So, IE8, uh, 9, 10, 11, whatever. IE8, I think I was looking at, was released in 2009. It was still being used, right? Even a year ago until they supposedly stopped support on it in 2016. IE 11, which is the newest version, was released like three years ago. So... You, we're talking about browsers, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's security holes everywhere. Chrome has an update every other week. Firefox is the same thing. They're like on version 60 and 50 and whatever. It, it's crazy. Anyways.
0: And that's what a polyfill is.
2: So, so yes, a poly, <laughs> yeah, that's, 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 that's not a polyfill. So a polyfill, I apologize. Coming back around. So a polyfill is when there's functionality, like new functionality that most browsers support, but there's a browser out there that doesn't support it yet. Somebody will write like a JavaScript mm-hmm. script or something, a piece of code that will make that browser work like all the modern browsers. And so if you're ever looking like shims used to be a big one, right? There was polyfills for the old ones. And so like these, these payment, uh, a- APIs and all that kind of stuff, there's polyfills for that. There were really cool things. Like there was this, um, what did they call it enter In- something uh inter- intersection observer so this was an interesting one uh if you've ever been to one of those websites or pages to where it has like the infinite scroll thing if you want a good uh, a good UI experience a good UX experience you don't want somebody to hit the bottom of the page before it starts loading up the more stuff so that that they're waiting once they get down there. Right. So you can have this intersection observer where it will say, Oh, this object is intersecting by X number of percent. Is it completely on the screen? Is it 80% on the screen? Is it whatever? And you can have it, you know, eager load some things or, or, or something like that. But what I'm getting at here is there were tons of features here that I'd never even, didn't know existed because i never had heard of this web api thing and there's there's literally just pages of this stuff so i'll have a link in here that's my tip to you guys it was news to me and it's really cool stuff
1: very nice all right uh, my tip of the week is actually something i heard on ms dev show a long time ago oh wait i wasn't gonna mention another podcast oh, so uh, we'll beat that out. <laughs> we just <laughs> fell off just kidding. Yeah, fell off the wagon. Um, anyway, uh, the idea there is sketch notes, which is uh, just a way of taking notes where you kind of do some drawing and stuff. And it's supposed to engage different parts of your brain and um, just a better way of taking notes. And if you've ever seen any of the pictures, uh, we'll have a link in the show notes. Um, it, the notes just kind of look like fun to take. So I always think about that when I'm taking notes with pen and paper. And there is something kind of nice and, um, I don't know, satisfying about doing that on paper compared to just, you know, notepad. So uh, I just thought it was kind of a cool thing and kind of a cool idea for your next meeting. Although um, it does kind of look like coloring or, you know, it's like drawing pictures, which may not be cool uh, depending on the meeting you're in. You know, if you're with the board of directors or whatever, maybe that's so cool. But uh, it's actually just fun to look at. So you should go go up there, look at it, see what the, the person has to say. And they've got a whole system for um, for kind of how to how to draw and how to how to emphasize the right things in in order to kind of maximize your learning and also reuse of the notes. So it's just really cool. So you should go check it out. Good stuff.
0: All right. Well, with that, uh, we ask that you subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher and more using your favorite podcast app. Be sure to leave us a review by visiting www.codingblocks.net slash review. And
2: while you're up there, check
0: out our show notes, examples,
1: discussions, and more and send your feedback questions rants and destiny 2 clan invites to the slack channel (laughs) codingblocks.slack.com make sure to follow us on twitter at codingblocks or head over to codingblocks.net we can find all our social links at the top of the page and i'll be on uh, destiny 2 in about 30 minutes here so uh let's get to it